You are listening to a CJTR podcast. Hello, this is Sandy Moore, host of A Real Piece of Art. And today we are talking about Art's Birthday, which was hosted by Neutral Ground Artist Run Center this year on January 18th. A Real Piece of Art is a radio show about exhibitions uh, in and around Regina, primarily in nonprofit professional exhibition spaces. The aim of a real piece of art is to ask questions that anyone can use to analyze, interpret, make judgments about, and hopefully understand works of art. We also address some lesser-known aspects of the art world, all of the jobs that people do within it, and what they are. So let's get on with the show, one that will hopefully have you saying, that's a real piece of art. Well, listeners, you may notice the show sounds a little different today, and that is because I have been uh, really quite busy, and I have been unable to pre-record an episode, which is what I usually do. So I'm coming to you live for the first time ever from the CJTR 91.3 Regina Community Radio Studios. This is a very exciting, a real first for me and for the show. Um, So today I am going to talk about Art's Birthday. It's an annual international celebration of, that's right, art. And it was first proposed in 1966 by the French artist Robert Fillou, and he imagined the primal scene of the birth of art. One million years ago, when someone took a dry sponge and dropped it into a bucket full of water. To quote the Vancouver Artist Run Center, Western Front. These were modest beginnings, but look at us now. And Few added to his vision of the birth of art, who the man was that dropped the sponge into a bucket of water is not important. He is dead, but art is alive. And truly, yes, art is alive. This absurd notion, according to Kunst Radio, is typical of the serious fun proposed by Fluxus artists. Indeed, we sometimes think of art as eternal, something that just is and has always been, something not something that was born or a concept that was invented. Art's birthday is a prompt for us to, ima- to examine our ideas of what is art. For me, there's real poetry to the birth of art as envisioned by Phil Yu. Art is like water to the parched imagination, allowing it to unfurl with possibilities. Like the sodden sponge, the vision that encounters art drips with new ideas. Fiu, interestingly enough, was trained as a political scientist, and he was inspired by the work of feminist and utopian philosopher Charles Fourier, especially his concept of attractive passions that champion the concept of work as pleasure. Isn't that an exciting idea to think of work as pleasure? Play and joy occupy crucial roles for Fiu, who believed Art making was a part of a permanent, universal, and endless process deeply embedded in everyday life. It was after Phil Yu's death in 1987 that Art's birthday party really took off. Artists began to celebrate Art's birthday with mail art, faxes, slow-scan TV events, all in the spirit of his concept of the eternal network, or la fête permanente. Again, another amazing concept. The permanent party, work as pleasure. The birthday parties took place 
um, the birthday parties for art, I should say, took place in different part- cities across the world, and artists were asked to bring presents for art. These presents were artworks that could be shared over the network. And these networked events centered in Vienna, Austria and Vancouver, Canada, have been the nexus of arts birthday parties since 1999. The U's own design for a three-cornered hat um, is a staple, along with imaginative cakes and costumes at arts birthday celebrations around the world each year. And performance art, video, intermedia, mail art, and celebratory actions of all sorts of new media are essential components to Art's Birthday Party, which has its roots in the experimental and multidisciplinary Fluxus movement. Known for experimental contributions to different artistic medium and disciplines for ge- and for generating new art forms. Regina's Arts Birthday Party has for many years been hosted by Neutral Ground Artist Run Center. And often the party includes a live video feed with other Arts Birthday Parties, both near and far. One year there was a cocktail inspired by Filiu's fanciful description of the origin of art. A chunk of watermelon, standing in for the dry sponge, was dropped from a great height by the bartender into a cocktail, which in turn stood for the bucket of water. What a splash. And one year, Jeff Meldrum's disco bike, a stationary bicycle fitted with mirrors that threw dazzling glimmers across the room as it was pedaled for partiers present to take a spin on, was in attendance as well. Revisiting some of the earliest Network's Art Birthday celebrations, Neutral Ground chose an 80s theme. On January 18th, partiers braved the chill to celebrate art in our lives, surrounded by video projections, interactive graphics, and slideshows by local artists, people tanning, made up of Kat Bloom Kay and Jonathan Carroll, Decades, a.k.a. Jason Kaywood, Rachel Broussard, and Yuji Gao. Personally, I was mesmerized by the seemingly never-ending catalog of 70s and 80s clothing advertisements and interior spaces assembled by decades. They were absolutely bonkers and seemed to capture the playful utopian thrust of Fluxus and Fiyu's art's birthday perfectly. Please note that Fiyu intended for Art's birthday to be a national holiday. Now, it's time to write your MLA and get the ball rolling to make this a holiday for Saskatchewan in time for Art's birthday 2021. And listeners, you know, it has been simply ages since I've done a new episode of of a real piece of art. And so, sorry, I'm looking at my notes here because I'm... Here we go. Okay, I'm all ready. So, listener, is it has been at the at, sorry, it has been ages since I've done a show, and it's because I've been so incredibly busy. I've been teaching, I've been curating, I've been promoting for dance artists, and most recently, I'm seeing a interruption performance and teaching a free podcasting workshop. And in the spirits of Art's birthday, I asked uh, all the participants in the Podcast Essentials Workshop to share their best and worst presents. So uh, here, let's listen to what they had to say about their best and worst presents. Podcast Essentials Workshop from the Regina Public Library's Digital Media Studio. Today we're talking about presents. What are the best presents you've ever received? And what are the worst presents you've ever received?
Lindsay, I'm going to start with a really easy one. What was the best gift you've ever received? The best gift I ever received was probably the year that I got my stand mixer from my mom and my sister. Because you know I like to cook and bake and all that. So having that stand mixer really like upped my game when it came to to my baking game. So it was pretty sweet. Let's uh, take that good memory and let's segue that into a bad one. What is the worst Christmas present you ever received? If I'm really being honest, I can't remember like what a bad present was because I don't know. I just try to not dwell on those and so you're not you weren't that kid who was like i wanted this i got that i hate all y'all no not really because i was grateful for anything that we got because damn it we grew up poor okay well you were a better kid than i was evidently okay so come on lay it on me okay. best, best present I'm actually going to start with the worst okay. present because that one is a very clear, better memory for me. All right. I asked for a Super Nintendo mm -hmm. when I was in fifth grade. Okay. It was brand new. Wanted it super bad. I got a Sega Genesis. <gasps> no. The injustice was real. Oh, I got no. Sonic, not Mario. It's it's a travesty. I'm still angry about it. It has been 24 years since I got that, and I'm still pissed off about it. So did you ever get a Super Nintendo? I did not. Okay, so now let's flip it, and what was the best one you ever got? See, now that one I don't have an answer for. Are you serious? Ever. Yeah, of course I'm serious. You don't have a good memory of a bad one. I didn't have a memory of a good one. I got lots of cool stuff I liked from time to time. This is just how I am. This is Sandy. I'm with Kim. And Kim, can you tell me about the best present you've ever received? The best present I ever received, I was about seven years old, and it was a Barbie motorhome. But I was very disappointed that all the stickers were already on it. Oh, that's both delightful and sad. And then, Kim, what is the worst present you've ever received? A home mortgage renewal in the mail just before Christmas. <laughs> so does that mean you have to, like, pay more mortgage? No, it means I have to get it straightened out over Christmas holidays, which is really not helpful. Oh, that sounds like the worst. Thank you. Hi, this is Kim with Sandy today. I'm just going to ask Sandy. Sandy, what's your best present ever received? You know, the best present I ever received was really unexpected. I came home late one night, and all the walkway and the stairs leading up to my house, there were hundreds of tiny little ceramic figurines and salt and pepper shakers that um, and a mysterious friend who never came forward had put there for me. Wow, someone really loves you. Now, how about the worst present you've ever received? <laughs> the worst present I ever received was when I was um, nine years old. All I wanted was a Barbie doll. I was obsessed. I wanted a Barbie doll so bad. And there was a present under the tree for me that was huge, very long, but thin. And I thought, God, there must be 10 Barbies in that. And I opened it on Christmas morning, and it was wallpaper. It was beige wallpaper. Hi, Eric. So we're trying to find out the best and worst presents from people. Could you tell me about the best present you've ever received? Well, I don't really have a resume when it comes to good presents, but I would say the best present I've ever gotten was this um, RC drone that I got from my parents. It didn't last very long, but it was it was still fun to play with. Nevertheless, it eventually broke and I hit a tree. But uh, <laughs> other than that, it was I say it was very enjoyable at the time. Well, hopefully the tree survived. What's the worst present you've ever received? I wouldn't say I have a lot of things to brag about when it comes to bad presents, but I would say just the good old-fashioned socks. What? You don't like socks? Not that I'd hate socks, but I would say it was the most anticlimactic. 
today I'm in the Regina Public Library with Sharon. Today we're discussing about the best and worst presents we've ever received. So, Sharon, what is the best present you've ever received? Well, the best present I have ever received was my son. He uh, was born a few days after Christmas, but I was in the hospital for Christmas, waiting for him to arrive and being the stubborn little person he was, he decided he wasn't going to come on Christmas Day, but two days later. Now, uh, on the other side of things, what would you say was your the worst present you've ever received? My uh, husband, he said to me, when you're, what do you want for Christmas? And I said, well, I don't think I want anything. And he said, well, you've got to have something. And I said, I don't know, a couple of wooden spoons or something. And that's what I got. Okay, well, uh, thanks listeners for listening to that. And thank you to all of the participants in the Podcast Essentials Workshop at the Regina Public Library. And thank you to CJTR 91.3 FM Regina Community Radio for uh, letting me include that content in today's show. And I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to... uh, Well, I'll tell you about some other things that I have been up to, listeners. Um, So as I mentioned before, I've been incredibly busy lately, and I haven't properly produced uh, a new episode of A Real Piece of Art in Ages. And I'm also incredibly grateful for my uh, co-host, Lillian O'Brien Davis, who joined the show in the fall. Um, So she's been doing an incredible job making sure that we get new episodes out there. So thanks so much, Lillian. And uh, one of the... One of the other things that I have been busy with, um, both Lillian and I, um, hosted a, uh, were MCs for a Winterruption show. And, uh, we got to take in some incredible performances by bands like Wheeze, Marissa Burwell, and The Won'ts. And, you know, Lillian and I were both incredibly honored to be asked to MC this event. And even more than that, um, I was so amazed and, and really my heart was warm to see how nice all of the bands were, both to us and to each other. Um, so all of the bands, uh, thanked us for introducing them, which was, uh, really unexpected. And it was really wonderful to get backstage and see their playful banter and their genuine love and respect for each other. So, I just want to say thank you to the Folk Festival and all the wonderful bands. We had a wonderful night. And instead of bringing you an interview with someone about their job in the art world, uh, I thought I would take this time to reflect on my experience at Winterruption. And uh, basically, whenever I go see a band, especially a band that really um, kind of reaches inside and and moves me and, in fact, possesses me with their music, I think about um, an essay by conceptual artist named Dan Graham and uh, you know I wanted to share a little bit of Graham's thoughts with you Um, so Graham as I mentioned is an American conceptual artist but he has lived and taught in Canada um, you know throughout the years and in fact has uh, um, well, I've I've actually met Graham, and uh, I'll tell you, maybe if I have time, I'll tell you the story about my meeting with Dan Graham. Um, but he's a really important figure, and he wrote this um, incredible essay for uh, art, art magazine as art criticism uh, called Rock My Religion. And in it, he uh, kind of makes this uh, fascinating uh, network of connections between uh, religion and rock music in contemporary culture. And he kind of traces this history that begins with the Shakers, an early religious community who practiced self-denial and ecstatic trance dance. And then he connects this to the reeling and rocking of religious festivals. And, and then 
the emergence of rock music as a religion to teenage consumers in the isolated suburban milieu of the 1950s. And fascinatingly, he locates rock's sexual and ideological context um, in post-World War II America and, again, connects it back to the Shaker religion. Um, so, uh, you know, it's a really complex collage. Um, so it's an essay. It's also a, a video or a film that he has made, um, which takes the form of a collage of text, film footage, performances, and a theoret- theoretical essay on the ideological codes and historical contexts that inform the cultural phenomenon of rock and roll music. Um, so uh, one of the things that Graham uh, states in his essay, Rock My Religion, which was truly relevant for me um, has to do with the Shakers and this was a religious minority um, who traveled from England to the United States and uh, sort of it was given you know this was a religion that uh, developed uh, during the Industrial Revolution in England and was founded by a woman which was highly unusual uh, during that time and really in any time and really the the woman their founder of the religion uh, really saw how, um, you know, capitalism and patriarchy oppressed women. And so she founded this religion. She really saw the institution of marriage, childbearing, and childrearing as oppressive to women. So she founded a a religion in which, um, you know, sex and the mixing of genders really had no part of it. And so in the Shaker colonies, they had, uh, you know, two wings. They lived communally, and uh, one wing was for men and one wing was for women. And the only time they would meet was during these uh, religious ceremonies that were a form of ecstatic dance. And in fact, Graham states in his essay that, uh, you know, really what the Shakers were doing were seeking to become possessed uh, by the devil or by demons. And and uh, in order to um, connect to this possession, uh, they used music. And he really notes that the, the musical instruments used by the Shakers uh, really parallel the instruments used in rock, rock music, so drums and guitar. And these driving rhythms, um, they would have a kind of... Uh, uh, you know, a circular dance that everyone would do. And again, according to Graham, as they became, um, you know, ecstatic in this shared communal dance, uh, driven by the beat of this drum, bass, and guitar music, and, uh, um, you know, felt that they could be, this was an opportunity to become possessed, it was also an opportunity to let... Um, th- the the mantle of culture and cultural expectations fall away and they in fact uh, they would have these would often uh degenerate into orgies and so you know it's kind of a fascinating um religious model um that men and women would be kept separate and then they would have these um religious events of ecstasy where uh, you know men and women could actually get together and express themselves very freely and then you know he makes this connection also to uh, a real holy roller known as Jerry Lee Lewis and uh, Jerry Lee felt that you know he would 
um, Graham tells the story of Jerry Lee going into his manager's office, um, sobbing, almost unconsolable, and, and, you know, begging his manager to not put out his music because his music was the devil's music. The devil was in him. So really connecting, um, this, uh, religious panic about rock music, even religious panic in the minds and hearts of some of the most, uh, well-known, uh, early rock musicians to, um, this Quaker ritual of, uh, religious ecstasy and possession. Um, so it's really a fascinating, uh, trip through, um, through the history of rock music and, uh, an amazing, uh, artifact that I always, you know, an amazing artwork and artifact that I always think of when I have this kind of, um, ecstatic sense, uh, when I go see a band where I feel, um, you know, this is the, this, the kind of experience that I'm always looking for or hoping for to be uh, sort of possessed by the music, to feel transported and to physically feel the impact of the music in or on my body. Um, it's really an incredible thing. Um, so I see I have a few minutes left and I will tell you then my meeting of um, kind of iconic collect. Uh, iconic conceptual artist Dan Graham. Um, I was in Belgium at uh, Media Arts Biennale and um, I was with uh, Anthony Kendall who was the curator of that international um, Biennale and who is actually the director of the Mackenzie Art Gallery in Regina now and uh, we ran into Dan Graham in a cafe and I had um, I think I had somehow just immediately got into a conversation with Dan Graham about uh, the punk, the English punk band, all female punk band, The Slits, and uh, and Dan Graham had a, a curator friend with him who was also telling me all about what it was like to hang out in the Mud Club in New York in the eighties, and um, you know it was kind of amazing and. Uh, um, you know, partway through our, our kind of long, intense conversation, well, first of all, my first reaction to meeting Dan Graham was I thought, oh, wow, this this man is so smart and definitely on the spectrum. Um, it, very uh, wild social skills. And um, he, he asked me a very funny question. He said, are you a snowbird? And I thought, you know, at the time I had been going to visit my, my parents in the Caribbean a lot uh, every winter. And I thought, well, okay, yeah. <laughs> Maybe, maybe I am actually a snowbird. And um, then uh, as Anthony and I were leaving, uh, we were d- discussing the fact that Dan Graham just thought snowbird meant a Canadian woman, <laughs> you know, kind of a snow chick. <laughs> Didn't really know what a snowbird meant. Um, and then also Anthony then turned to me and said, how long have you known Dan for? And I said, I just met him just right now. So, uh, you know, it was amazing that, uh, you know, he was uh, so... Uh, eager to uh, talk about the things that are interesting to him, including rock, and actually told me that um, Anthony loves rock music. So I thought it was quite funny. He felt like he was sharing a secret with me about my friend. Um, but, uh, you know, he was so eager to engage in a conversation about something that he loved that uh, my friend thought that I had actually known Grant Dan Graham forever. And in fact, that was my first and to this date only meeting with him. But I really hope to run into Dan Graham in the future. Um, so I recommend that you buy or check out Dan Graham's uh, essay, Rock My Religion. Um, his video document of Rock My Religion is also uh, widely available free online. And uh, there is also a Japanese comic book.